Hello, my name is Sean Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. I spoke with RWC's John Malloy about the opportunities he's seeing in emerging markets. This is despite the contagion created by the Evergrande debt crisis and more onerous regulation on Chinese tech companies. The manager of RWC's Global Emerging Markets Fund is particularly bullish on raw materials stocks due to their role in the transition to green energy. As an emerging markets manager, do you feel that emerging markets are too exposed to China and how has the Evergrande crisis impacted you as an investor? China clearly drives um, the growth that we see throughout the emerging market world, but it's not all of the emerging markets, as, as you probably know. I mean, if you look at Latin America with you know half a billion people and, and a very, very large economy, if you look at you know uh, parts of Eastern Europe, um, Africa, and then Obviously, other parts of Asia, India, which end up being drivers, but you know, it, it does at times have um, a, an impact on emerging markets overall. And I, I think you've seen that this year, where this wave of regulation um, that we've seen through the Chinese economy has impacted flows to emerging markets. Um, surprisingly, though, the growth in China has been pretty resilient. So it's the equity markets have been uh, under pressure, but if you look at you know the, the real economic growth, it's it's been pretty strong. Um, in terms of Evergrande, uh, Evergrande's been a problem for quite some time, and it's been recognized by the markets for quite some time, if, if you've been following China closely. Uh, in fact, you know, we, we did a lot of work on the capital structure early on this year. Uh, it, it really has not had an impact on our portfolio. Um, we have uh, no exposure to the real estate market. I would say maybe one company that we have in the portfolio, an insurance company has come under pressure, uh, but they have no exposure to Evergrande. And I think actually Evergrande uh, and what's going on in the real estate market probably will push uh, the PBOC, uh, Chinese uh, regulators, to meet, ease monetary policy, um, given that we are starting to see a slowdown in the real estate market. And how would an easing of monetary policy affect your portfolio? Well, I think overall, um, if you look at China through COVID, they've been pretty um, responsible in terms of their monetary policy, which has been tight, and also their fiscal policy, especially compared to the U.S., um, the U.K., and, and Europe. And so I, we feel that you know if they were to reduce rates, um, have additional triple R cuts, putting more liquidity, that should be good for overall economic growth. And I think you'd see that you know, be reflected in, in certain parts of the equity market. Um, the, the Chinese Asia is actually, that market's been pretty resilient. Where you've had uh, quite a bit of pain has been in the ADR market, the Chinese ADR market, as well as the Hong Kong listed China stocks. You mentioned there that Evergrande has been something that had been talked about for, for several months, if not several years. Um, did you kind of, as a, as a fund manager, realize the extent of it? Could you see this sort of storm brewing? We did early on this year, and we took a look at, uh, as I mentioned, the capital structure. And at that point, the bonds were trading in the high 80s, um, which was which was a high yield for a real estate developer. Um, and then subsequently, they've collapsed into the 20s. And you know, at that time, we wanted to fully understand what the extent of uh, the the you know restructuring would be. And although it's a large balance sheet, you know, with about 100 billion of of bonds and then another couple hundred billion of additional uh, leverage tied to the company, we didn't think it would create a systematic collapse uh, as some people have been talking about, similar to, let's say, Lehman or Bear Stearns. 
And the reason is because it's just it, it didn't have the size and the impact that that a Lehman or Bear Stearns or even at that time um, Merrill Lynch, which also had a, a major problem, had. I mean, we were talking about trillion dollar balance sheets back then. And so when we looked at the rest of the real estate market, looking at Venke or other large real estate developers, their bonds were trading at spreads that were very, very reasonable, interest rates of 3 to 4%. And so we didn't see that kind of contagion effect that we saw during the global financial crisis. And if you look at China, um, China is a, it's a, it's a unique system because basically you have the Communist Party or, or the government on, either, on many sides of of business, and so they control the banks. Uh, they they have a quite a bit of influence, obviously, in some of the large corporates. In some cases, you know, they actually control those real estate companies. And so, I think you know, our view was really that you could have a controlled unwind or restructuring of, of this business that wouldn't have broad implications, um, you know, on the economy or the stock market for an extended period of time. Something that is very pertinent to your portfolio is regulation. And obviously, the Chinese government's been tightening regulation on the tech sector. Um, has that your, changed your approach at all, um, or, or perhaps your future approach? It's a good question, John. And it's something that obviously has impacted the market and valuations this year. Uh, waves of regulation and, and regulation overall uh, is, not, is nothing new to China. And they've gone through periods of regulation, if you go back to 2018, if you look at the gaming sector, there have been periods of uh, um, regulation in education years ago. You obviously had the clampdown of the shadow bank, uh, shadow lending uh, years ago. You probably recall that being a big focus. And now, you know, that that doesn't exist. And so typically these periods of, of regulation are at a time when the economy is in pretty good shape, which it has been coming into this year. Um, we had identified that kind of shift uh, early on, I would say, um, probably much sooner than some of our competitors. And really, that was around the time when Ant Financial, the Alibaba uh, financial giant, was supposed to come to the market. And that deal was canceled um, on the on the day of the, the issuance, which is unprecedented. Now, we completely reduced our exposure to Alibaba, uh, which is obviously, it was a big, it's still a big name in the market, but it was probably a top three name in the index. And at that point, then we completely reassessed, you know, where we had exposure. Um, we did, you know, reducing our exposure in education. So we avoided that. We avoided um, the other, you know, uh, areas in technology, such as Meituan, PDD, um, JD, uh, as well as Alibaba. And even Tencent, which is a, a name in the portfolio right now, we had a, a relatively uh, small position in that company. In fact, early on this year, we had an underweight to China, which was probably about nine to nine and a half percent. We can speak about it where we are now, but we have closed that underweight. Well, you mentioned stocks like Meituan and Tencent, and they're, they're still pretty weighty positions in, on your, in your portfolio. Um, do you think they'll, you'll, they'll be reduced further as, as we go on? We actually have been bringing those positions up, John, in the past couple of months uh, after actually having reduced them earlier in the year. And uh, we think we think the market going forward um, will be focused on fewer tech companies in China, and we'll see much more differentiation and dispersion of returns. You know, last year all of the China uh, technology stocks did well. All you know, you could have basically thrown darts. And I think looking forward. Um, you know, what, where we do really well is, you know, our active management. So pure stock picking and looking at the thematic research that we do. And so 
we've identified um, Tencent as one of the core winners longer term, as well as Meituan and as well as uh, Billy Billy. Uh, so we think, you know, you could see just more dispersion returns and, and those stocks will be, they have very, very strong growth outlook um, as we look out, you know, over the next three to five years. Let's look outside of China. Um, where are you seeing the best opportunities in your portfolio? Stock-wise, if you could give a couple of examples, that'd be great. Yeah, I think it, there is um, there are a few different drivers of, of you know of emerging markets going forward, and and one of them is the investment in climate change. And uh, I think it's it's very probably misunderstood by the market. I think it's underestimated, and the wave of money that we're going to see going into renewables, green technology is going to be enormous. And I think it's it, it is similar to what we saw in the early 2000s where China came onto the global markets. And uh, every company that you're talking to, uh, even it's not just governments, but it's consumers, it's corporates, is focused on climate change. And that's going to result in materials doing much, much better going forward. Um, we have to, as we switch from, you know, basically carbon and to, to oil and gas and coal, we need more um, resources in terms of copper, lithium, cobalt, and even it will impact things like aluminum and steel. So one of our uh, bigger themes in the portfolio is copper. And one company that we are, uh, you know, we like is First Quantum. It has operations in Panama and, and Zambia. So it's a frontier market company, you know, in terms of our, you know, how we categorize it. Uh, we also like a company called um, Sokimich, which is a, it's a Chilean company, SQM, uh, Chemica Minera. And that company is the largest lithium producer in the world. And so you know, as the world starts to build out uh, solar, electric vehicles, more renewables, both copper and lithium are set to do extremely well. Is China still the, the biggest region in your portfolio? And could, could you see perhaps India overtaking it eventually? China is at this point. And um, as I mentioned, we were underway China earlier this year. We've closed that gap. So we're probably close to the index at uh, just about 35%. Um, but it's a good point on India. And India has been coming up and has been an overweight uh, position in our portfolio this year, which which has worked well. Um, as you, you probably know, India has outperformed China pretty materially. Um, I definitely could see a scenario where India is a bigger part of our um, exposure and a bigger part of the of the index going forward. Um, and I think it, in terms of China, although China is a big part of the um, portfolio and index right now, it, that has not always been the case. And if you look at markets like Brazil, Russia, even Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, the representation in the index is anywhere from two to Five percent for those countries, and those countries' weighting could be much, much larger going forward. Um, but we do uh, think that India could be quite large going forward. And, and one of our larger positions, Reliance um, Industries, is doing a lot of work, and we're working with them on ESG in terms of their clean energy, uh, their carbon neutral targets are very, very aggressive. And, and we're on the committee with the UNPRI. We're actually co-chairs on that committee, working with the company for them in, in disclosing what they're investing in. And, and uh, we think that that should help that stock um, performance going forward in terms of reliance. 
I think something coming up from COP26 is sort of a push for more funding for emerging markets to help with with clean energy. Um, do you think that will will help much on on the ESG front uh, as an, from an investor's point of view? I think so. I mean, you know, ESG has been part of our process since we started the strategy um, almost ten years ago. And so, you know, we, we believe that ESG is part of the due diligence that goes into analyzing stocks and, and companies. But um, the difference, I would say, from, you know, today compared to 10 years ago or 30 years ago is that uh, more and more companies, emerging market companies, frontier market companies are embracing um, the, 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 the ESG changes. And so they're looking at things like board diversity. They're looking at, uh, you know, carbon footprint. They're looking at disclosure. And, we yeah we we do engage with our managements. We have very good relationships with our managements, and oftentimes it's two way conversation in terms of their disclosure and and they're trying to learn about the sustainalytics or you know what ISS is focused on or what the what the um, market is focused on. So I think as well as um, you know the investment in renewables and, and green and clean technology, it's also other parts of ESG governance um, that that is clearly a focus and you know. I think it's improving in emerging markets, um, in some cases slowly, but it is improving. And then also the social issues um, in terms of like child labor or, uh, you know, the, the, the regulation throughout, um, you know, the, the workforces. Mm. Um, you mentioned disclosure there. Um, how, how do you um, meet that challenge? Obviously, you're, you're a, a Western asset manager and, and you're investing in several different emerging markets simultaneously um, without necessarily being on the ground there. How, how do you deal with the transparency factor? It's a great question. Um, and it's, I think a lot of it comes down to experience. Um, we have a 22-person team with uh, over 15 years on average of experience in the market. So you know, meeting these companies... Uh, visiting the the companies during you know normal times, and even even this past year, we had one of our analysts in China, Wan Long Chen. He was in China for <clears throat> two months, meeting with companies, visiting, uh, attending conferences, and so you know it's really that due diligence of um, looking at the stated financials, but then also comparing them to industry standards, um, speaking to their competitors, and then looking. You know, basically meeting with the management and, and seeing that uh, credibility over a number of years, and I think that that really helps. Um, we we are looking at well-established companies. You know, the the minimum market cap for our strategy is two billion. So these are large companies. They typically have um, many different uh, you know banking relationships. They've typically been you know publicly traded for a, a long time. Um, and and as I mentioned. In most cases, we've been meeting with management for for many many years, and and that really helps in terms of the credibility. So the largest position in, in your portfolio is a Taiwan Semiconductor. Um, obviously, its share price has lost some of its momentum compared to some of the other chip manufacturers in, in recent months. Um, are you still bullish on the the stock? We we are uh, still positive on the stock. It, it has been in the portfolio probably since we started the strategy. Um, we do believe that TSMC, Taiwan Semi, is a clear leader in the semiconductor space um, and will continue to uh, put up very, very strong growth go- going forward. Uh, the stock has come under pressure, and I think it's really a result of the overall equity market flows into emerging markets, which have been you know, pretty tepid to negative 
given you know the volatility around China, and I think that that's really been the main reason. Um, we we do like the stock at this point. It has been reduced slightly to fund some of our increase in in our China names, such as Tencent or Meituan, um, but we still have a core position, and it, it's a top you know three position at this point. There's also another company, MediaTek, which is a, a, a semiconductor company in, in Taiwan as well. And we think that that's a phenomenal play on the um, investment around 5G. And 5G is one of our, continues to be one of our stronger themes. Um, so not only TSMC, but also MediaTek is, is very interesting. What would your three most bullish plays for the next 12 months be? First, quantum is, is very interesting in terms of the copper. And, and as we speak today, copper is almost back to a 52-week high um, at a time when we're still talking about Evergrande and we're still talking about worried about China and the, the growth coming through COVID is, is uneven. So I think this renewable, the investment in renewable and more and more focus on that by investors will drive uh, copper-related stocks. And first, quantum, I think, is, is a beneficiary there. Um, you know, believe it or not, also, um, you know, Tencent, which is a name that is well known and, and 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 probably less well held just because it's it's come under pressure. But I think Tencent is in a position to do extremely well in terms of the stock performance going forward. Um, we think that they're in a very very different position than a company like Alibaba. Um, we think you know gaming and the regulation around gaming. Uh, gaming is here to stay, and if anything, it's going to accelerate as we look at you know augmented reality virtual reality and and all the changes to gaming and especially mobile gaming, not to mention what's happening in payments and cloud technology. Um, and I think then the third name would be Reliance, which we hit on earlier. And Reliance, as I mentioned, is doing quite a bit of investment in um, renewable, in at, you know attaining those carbon neutral targets that they have. And their uh, telecom business, they so Reliance is a conglomerate with energy assets, but also a much bigger part of the business is a telecom, a mobile telecom business. And as you have, you know, 4G and 5G rollout in terms of uh, t- telecom, their subgrowth has been very strong. They also are a leader in bricks and mortar commerce as well as e-commerce. And so both of those businesses are are, are doing very well. So I, I think that's where, you know, we we're very excited looking out over the next six to 12 months. Great. Well, John, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for having me.